This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss employer-sponsored health care insurance. With me to discuss the topic is Mr. Niall Brennan, President and Executive Director of the Healthcare Costs Institute, or HCCI, here in Washington, D.C. Mr. Brennan, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be on. Mr. Brennan's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Briefly, on background, in 2014, slightly over 55% of non-Medicare-eligible Americans, or approximately 152 million, received their health care insurance via their employer. Another 19.5% of Americans received their health care via Medicaid and 16% via Medicare. Among employers, over 82% with 500 or more employees and 26% of employers with between 100 and 499 employees were self-funded or self-insured. As these terms imply, this means the employer is assuming the direct risk for payment of claims for benefits. Self-insured employers, therefore, have a keen interest in understanding health care spending trends or what factors drive excessive health care spending growth. With me to discuss employer-sponsored insurance, or ESI, is again Niall Brennan. So with that as a brief background, I purposely avoided explaining what your institute does. So let me start by asking if you now can briefly describe HCCI's work. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, HCCI was established in 2011, and as you noted in your opening contextual remarks, uh, by far the greatest share of Americans with one particular type of coverage are Americans who receive coverage via their employer. And despite that, for many years, uh, most of the insights uh, into our healthcare system were actually based on insights derived from Medicare data and to a lesser extent Medicaid data because that was the only data that was readily available to researchers. So uh, in a really um, unique test of governance, I would say, in 2011, three uh, competitors uh, in the ESI and other health insurance markets came together, actually four, Aetna, United, Humana, and Kaiser Permanente, and decided to set competitive and proprietary interests aside, uh, pool their data with a, a trusted third party, I kind of refer to ourselves as a data Switzerland, if you will. Um, so we would aggregate the data, uh, de-identify the data, and, and act as a, as a neutral convener, both for um, analyzing the data ourselves with our own data science and analytic team, but perhaps or as importantly, or maybe even more importantly, uh, making the data uh, available to other researchers um, so they could analyze um, issues affecting utilization and spending in this, you know, very significant portion of the U.S. population and very significant portion of the healthcare economy. Okay, thank you. I'll note, too, you're a uh, national qualified entity, so you have access as well to Medicare 
uh, claims data. You publish uh, for the listeners' uh, uh, info the uh, HCCI's healthcare cost and utilization report. But let me ask you, you started something new. It's called, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Garoom.com. What, what is that? Guru. Uh, so Guru was launched uh, a couple of years ago, and that was an effort to um, try and pierce the veil of transparency that's plagued American healthcare for so long. I think it's um, widely uh, known and understood uh, the difficulty that consumers have in assessing how much care is actually going to cost them. So because we had this incredible uh, data resource from from major national plans, what we did is we applied a, a series of algorithms called uh, care bundles to group um, certain elements of the data into bundles of care that um, uh, better represent uh, commonly provided services in the healthcare system, so childbirth, knee replacement, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we um, staged that data uh, on a very um, helpful and, and easy to use website uh, called guru.com where um, consumers can um, uh, search for uh, the median negotiated price across uh, these three uh, national payers and use that as a benchmark to help them um, navigate um, where they should um, uh, obtain care and also uh, as a benchmark uh, against what um, they, in the case of an uninsured individual, what they might be being quoted uh, by a hospital for, uh, for a particular episode of care. Okay, thank you again. Let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty here of employer-sponsored insurance. So based on your research, again, um, what's driving uh, current spending growth uh, in your market? Well, um, Uwe Reinhardt once famously said, "The price is stupid." And much <laughs> 2003, of our recent, yes, yes, yeah. Now, much of our recent research uh, definitely seems to be pointing towards that. So, I think um, <clears throat> the overall observations uh, I would have at a very high level is, despite the. Um, attention to um, value-based care um, over the last, you know, 10 years, say, and um, despite some positive uh, trends uh, in public sector programs such as Medicare, where growth has been historically slow, uh, things are actually trending in the wrong direction um, for uh, people with employer-sponsored coverage, certainly the wrong direction if your overall goal is a moderating uh, of healthcare costs in 2013 and 2014, uh, perhaps uh, due to some lingering effects from the recession. Um, uh, growth in ESI spending was about 2% per year. That ticked up to 4.1% in 2015 and 4.6% in 2016. So uh, we're definitely seeing an acceleration uh, in spending growth, and I am obviously curious to see what the uh, 2017 uh, number will be. Um, I hope to have that information in uh, about four to six weeks. Okay, thank you. Based on uh, my reading of your literature, it's per your comment of Reinhardt's on prices, we're seeing an increase in cost per unit, uh, service intensity has increased, surgical admissions, and obviously drug spending. Um, but what's down is utilization. You noted that overall, uh, some hospitalizations, rather, have actually been flat or declining. 
Uh, so it's really an explanation of these former uh, variables. You also note, and this is well known in the research literature, there is also in your work evidence there is substantial regional spending variation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the bottom line is is that uh, working Americans are using the same or less healthcare <clears throat> over time, and yet it is um, it is costing more and more and more. Uh, so uh, that can be down to uh, price uh, or intensity. Uh, I think a lot of our work suggests that um, it is mostly price. Obviously, you get into some complicated measurement issues, particularly around um, prescription drugs with the um, uh, introduction of uh, newer, um, life-saving, um, very expensive drugs like uh, Sovaldi, which really can't be characterized as a pure price increase. Um, and so, but what uh, I would also note is you can look at insulin, you can look at drugs for um, multiple sclerosis, you can look at drugs um, over uh, a whole um, range of treatment regimens. And so these are drugs that have consistently been available on the market. And um, uh, the evidence is pretty clear that prices for those drugs are also uh, increasing on an extremely uh, rapid basis. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we need to be able to um, balance um, innovation uh, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, overall uh, better understanding of why prescription drug prices are increasing so much faster than uh, the rest of uh, the healthcare sector. Okay, thank you again. Let me ask you one or two other uh, variables in this. There was a Commonwealth Fund report last December by David Blumenthal that uh, noted that in your market, interestingly enough, uh, they're seeing an increased percent of job-based coverage uh, beneficiaries having what they define as underinsurance, and they calculate that as those who spend more than 10% of their income excluding premiums on health care and they change the variable or percents for those with low income. Is your data suggesting um, uh, that part of this underutilization or utilization is being controlled by or the, the consequence of uh, in increasing numbers of, of employees being underinsured? So that's a little hard for us to measure because we don't have good information on uh, the annual income uh, of people in our population. And just so uh, people can put get a general sense of the uh, the size we're dealing with here, we uh, have about 43 million um, people uh, in our database that are have uh, employer-sponsored coverage. So as you said at the top of the show, uh, there are about uh, a little over 150 million uh, people total. So we've got a, um, uh, a decent-sized uh, chunk of the overall population. Uh, what we are seeing is uh, significant increases in people with high-deductible health plans, and we do see lower spending um, by people with high-deductible health plans now. You know, uh, it's it's hard to uh, establish if that lower spending is as a result of the benefit design structure uh, in the in in the high deductible health plans or other exogenous effects. Um, like if they tend to be more uh, low income workers, it's just hard for us to measure. I thought it was interesting relative to high deductible. You would think that with those, obviously, your out of pocket increases, but per your fifteen report. 
you show that per capita out-of-pocket grew at a slower rate than total per capita spending, which I found somewhat surprising. Yeah, and so that is actually, um, it is an interesting finding, and frankly, it is a, a good illustration uh, of the um, uh, the danger uh, of of averages. So uh, you're absolutely right that out-of-pocket spending uh, grew uh, slightly slower than overall spending. Most of that was driven by a pretty significant decline in average out-of-pocket spending for prescription drugs. And, you know, yes, that too is fairly counterintuitive or runs counter to at least the popular narrative uh, that people are being burned more and more by uh, increasing out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs. What we found when we, or what we are finding when we do a deeper dive on this is that it is related to some uh, broader structural um, uh, benefit changes uh, in the market, uh, primarily related to the combination of medical and prescription drug deductibles. And so for uh, a small number of people with um, who previously had exceptionally high uh, out-of-pocket spending on prescription drugs, they are they are hitting um, lifetime or yearly caps a lot earlier than they previously did, and so their uh, out of pocket spending is um, is coming down uh, significantly. So if you look in a little more um, detail uh, in our report, uh, out of pocket spending is actually outpacing uh, total spending growth uh, for outpatient and um, professional uh, services. Uh, it's about level uh, for inpatient services, but outpatient uh, spending growth is uh, significantly lower for uh, brand prescription spending. So that's that's really what's driving uh, that overall trend. Okay, thank you. Since you started with, or you mentioned Reinhardt and it's the price is stupid, let me ask you about prices. And that begs, are you doing any year-over-year research? So, for example, the question is, relative to prices, what can you learn or have you learned about employers at all leveraging their buying power uh, to put downward or any downward pressure on prices? Can you tease that out at all or that learning out at all from the data? Well, so, um, you know, our data, again, shows that things are, are, are trending in the wrong direction, and our data, you know, also shows that price uh, plays a very specific uh, component in this. So, you know, I do realize that there is a, an emerging consensus among, let's just call them health policy experts, that employers could do a much better job of uh, banding together or, you know, Mm -hmm. demanding better deals. I think the most, the clearest um, example of that is is probably the um, profound excitement around the Amazon (laughs) Berkshire Hathaway uh, JP Morgan announcement. And um, I think it's, it's indicative of to a certain extent, maybe um, a, a vague, nagging unease that, you know, maybe value-based care hasn't worked out as well as we thought it would, and, like, we're desperately in search of, of new ideas, that a one-page, um, va- pretty vague uh, press release from, um, you know, three very respected companies could uh, generate such uh, intense uh, attention. I think the the counter to the employers need to do better and employers need to drive a harder bargain is... Um, uh, health insurance is 
uh, a benefit. Uh, our workers uh, view it as a benefit. Uh, the the job market is 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 pretty tight. There is uh, competition for uh, many types of workers, and you know, from um, lower skilled workers to uh, very highly skilled workers. And so, uh, if there are you know an employer or even a group of employers who you know drive harder bargains, restrict doctors or hospitals that their employees can see, you know, how will the market respond? Will um, will other employers follow suit, follow suit or will other employers um, use that as an opportunity to try and uh, gain an upper hand in, in from a, a recruitment and retention of um, uh, the types of workers that are in high demand uh, in the economy? So, um, on the one hand, I, I, I think I agree that um, employers could perhaps do uh, a better job or be more insistent that enough is enough and, you know, they are they are footing a, an ever larger share of the bill. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's easier said than done. And frankly, uh, some employers who, who have tried it in the past uh, have gotten burned uh, pretty badly when they've, when they've done it. Okay, and just to emphasize or beat this point further, we pay the highest prices for medical goods, services, and labor, healthcare labor across all OECD countries. Let me ask you, you recently gave testimony uh, June 27th before the Senate Health, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, and your uh, testimony was titled, How to Reduce Healthcare Costs, Understanding the Costs of Healthcare in America. Um, what was, can you summarize what your conclusion or finding was uh, relative to that recent testimony? I think my uh, my primary conclusion was that if this was easy, we'd have done it a long time ago. Uh, so you know, there are no rifle shots or, or magic bullets. I think we need a, a, a systemic approach and also an understanding that um, every uh, dollar uh, in healthcare savings is a dollar of revenue or profit or livelihood that you're taking away from from somebody else and and again healthcare has become um, such um, an ingrained almost a movable part uh, of our overall um, uh, economy that you know making uh, meaningful uh, changes uh, may have um, very you know um, serious adverse consequences so it's it's 20% of GDP or, or close to it. And in many uh, cities and towns around the country, um, um, healthcare employment uh, represents a, a very significant um, uh, part of the of the local economy and the local workforce. I remember uh, Dan Diamond at Politico used to, uh, I think it was Dan, he would publish this chart and there were you know, hundreds of months or, you know, of consecutive growth uh, in, in healthcare employment. So um, if we truly um, uh, get a handle on healthcare costs, like, you know, what are those people, um, how are those people going to be uh, redeployed uh, across the economy uh, in a way that doesn't cause uh, profound uh, economic distress. I mean, you know, uh, the other, um, you know, ideas uh, have been, you know, well discussed um, by other people. Uh, I think we have 
issues with um, consolidation and, and competition um, that are that are affecting uh, competitive dynamics in local markets and and forcing uh, commercial commercial prices uh, ever higher. And per your point, uh, as some economists would note, healthcare has become uh, Keynesian stimulus. Um, and in fact, some people actually see the ACA's greatest benefit is just that, particularly relative to its timing. Let me ask you two uh, uh, final questions. One, I know, is uh, based on your previous experience to your uh, now year at HCCI, and that is uh, having been uh, just previously at CMS, um, and that gets to data transparency. We'd all do better if we knew more, certainly. Um, so this gets at, uh, you know where I'm going with this, uh, Niall. This gets at MA and counter data, which becomes publicly uh, available this fall. How big of a opportunity do you think that is since Medicare Advantage is approximately a third of Medicare beneficiaries and largely the program's been black boxed to date? Well, so I'd be remiss as the, the CEO of the Healthcare Cost Institute if I didn't point out that uh, we have been one of the only sources uh, of Medicare Advantage data for researchers uh, for, uh, for a number of years. We don't have the entire Medicare Advantage program, obviously, but um, United, Aetna, and Humana combined uh, certainly represent mm-hmm. uh, a very significant chunk of the overall population. Uh, and it's a population uh, definitely uh, worth studying. Uh, I uh, applaud CMS um, for releasing uh, MA data. Uh, I think it was in, in April of this year. Uh, I wish they had um, done it in June of 2017, uh, as was was uh, originally planned, but as they say, uh, better late than never. Uh, I believe they're only releasing one year of data, so while it's a, a positive step, I think the, um, the, the initial insights that uh, researchers will be able to derive will be somewhat uh, limited, but again, um, even limited information is, uh, is better than no information when you have a program uh, that covers uh, one-third of Medicare beneficiaries and is uh, projected to continue its um, um, exuberant growth trajectories. Yes, in fact, I saw recently uh, annual growth at 9% projected. Let, let yeah. me ask, I'd be remiss as uh, president of, of your organization not to ask you about the tax exclusion. Uh, this is the reality that employer-sponsored uh, coverage or the cost thereof uh, is um, excluded from tax, that revenue or spending uh, it's estimated to be $260 billion a year. It's the largest uh, tax break, uh, larger than the mortgage interest deduction in our uh, national economy. Every economist across the board, independent of party, uh, has argued this creates all sorts of problems, uh, least of which job lock, amongst others. Um, I have to ask you, what, what's, your, what's your take on the tax exclusion, or specifically, do you think the Congress anytime soon is going to address this or take a serious uh, effort beyond? We know they tried with the Cadillac tax. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, really, I think in many respects, um, you, you've almost answered your your own question with, with, as part of that very uh, comprehensive overview. Look, this is actually not uh, my specific area of interest. Um, I 
strongly doubt um, that uh, Congress will uh, take this on um, at any time uh, in in the not too distant future. I think uh, the the facts are are pretty clear that uh, experts believe that this is uh, a huge tax break. I'm pretty sure um, it's a fairly regressive tax break mm-hmm. and um, uh, does lead to um, uh, distortions in, in the marketplace. But that being said. Um, it's 150 million people. Uh, it's uh, viewed as a um, de facto integral part of the, you know, job and working experience um, in the United States. Uh, so I don't see that situation changing anytime soon. Uh, I could easily be proven wrong. Okay, thank you. And lastly, when next is your health care cost utilization report? So we will get uh, initial an initial um, set of, of numbers and data to analyze um, probably in, in in mid to late uh, September. It'll take us a couple of months to uh, comb through it and figure out what um, trends and findings um, that we think are are important. And then, frankly, uh, it, it just comes down to uh, a timing issue. Um, we, we ran into some unanticipated delays last year, which pushed the release uh, to January 2018. Uh, traditionally, the report uh, has come out um, in, in the November-ish November. um, territory. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just a question sometime between probably uh, November 2018 and, um, and January 2019. We were obviously um, actually pretty happy, very happy with the amount of media attention um, it, it received in January of this year so we may uh, we may hold it to then it's all you know it's uh, dependent on on several um, factors that are slightly out of our control uh, right now okay uh, with that Nilo I'll say thank you for your time today this overview of HCCI's work and where we're going with employee sponsor insurance so appreciative for it thank you sounds great great to talk to you you have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.